0: Well, if you missed last week, uh, you missed an opportunity to hear Darla uh, preach to us. She wouldn't call it preaching. She'd just call it testifying. Uh, But uh, I had just asked her when all this happened eight weeks ago, if there's any way possible that the first time you come to church, uh, I'd love for you to tell the story. And uh, it was eight weeks since she was able to get to church and and uh, she thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to see you. You're her family. She's missed you greatly. She watches every Sunday uh, in her favorite Lazy Boy chair. She's watching right now and she's praying for you. If you didn't get the opportunity to, to hear her, her testimony, you could go to the church Facebook page or the website and you can watch it there. Uh, anybody ever remember George Burns? George made fun of his age all the time. That was kind of his, his humor focus. He was a comedian back in the 60s, 70s. He said, tennis is a game for young people. Until age 25, you can play singles. From there until age 35, you should play double. I won't tell you my age, he said, but when I played, there were 28 people on the court on my side. <laughs> Even though Elijah was the leading representative of God in Israel as a prophet there in 1 Kings, he was certainly affected by what I call his pesky humanity. If you look back at the stories that have occurred right before the one that I'm about to preach, he 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 ministered to a lady, a widow who had nothing, who was about to die. Then he went straight from there to the top of of Mount Carmel where he had this great battle with 850 false prophets of Baal. And by this time he was exhausted. This is the story right after That occurred. Would you please stand in honor of reading God's word? 850 prophets have been now killed. King Ahab, who was known as the worst king in all of the history of Israel, and his wife Jezebel, were ticked. Do you know that theological word? They were ticked. And they called for Elijah's death. Now he's on, his ru- on the run, Elijah. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah that day. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mohalah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This, my friends, is God's word. You may be seated. We've been asking some pretty significant questions over the last couple of weeks. With the story of Elijah and the woman with nothing, we answered the question, how does God prepare us for the God-sized challenges that are right around the corner. And then as we looked at the story of Elijah and the 850 false prophets, we answered the question, how do we handle a God-sized challenge? You might say, well, Pastor, I I am willing to, to do whatever God asks, but I am dealing with this pesky humanity issue right now. That's fair. It's actually the same issue that absolutely every person in the Bible dealt with. They were all humans. Surprise, surprise. So you're normal. You're just like Noah, who had absolutely no idea what it meant to build a huge ship 75 miles from any body of water and it had never rained on earth before. You're just like Moses, who told God, who who God told to lead 1.5 million of his brothers and sisters, the Israelites, out of captivity. And he said, but God, I, I, I stutter. You're just like David, who was the youngest and the smallest brother, who was also a lowly shepherd. And he was not a warrior. And God called him to go fight a grand battle. You're just like Elijah in this story, who was exhausted, tired of running, who found himself in a cave hiding from those who were trying to actively kill him that very day it seemed as if, at least in Elijah's mind, the whole world was against him. So how does our humanity make us stumble in the light of a God-sized challenge? The story immediately follows the event on Mount Carmel when the fire fell and consumed the water saturated wood and sacrifice it was elijah and god against 850 prophets evil queen jezebel heard of the event heard of elijah's success over baal she heard that he had then killed all 850 of the of her false prophets And she was mad and promised to take his life. Elijah was scared. Rather than resting in God's protection as he had in the last three and a half years, watching God protect him, instead of trusting God, he ran for his life. He ran and ran and ran all the way through the kingdom of Judah to the southernmost part in the land called Beersheba. Still fearful that he might be discovered by Jezebel's spies, he told his servant to wait in the town and stay behind, and then he himself would secretly travel into the desert all by himself another 15 miles, and he ended in the Negev desert. And finally, he sat under a broom tree. He was so tired, he was depressed, he was exhausted and he prayed that he might just go ahead and die. So how does our humanity make us stumble in the light of God-sized challenges? How do we get to this place just like Elijah found himself? The first thing that we often do is we tend to forget what God has just done in the past. We're really good forgetters, aren't we? Jezebel has sent a messenger to Elijah. May the God deal with me ever so, be it ever so severely, by this time tomorrow, I, if I do not make your life like that of one of them. And this put a tremendous fear on Elijah because he had forgotten everything that God had just done. We haven't read the story, but before all of these other stories that we've talked to, God had provided him fresh water and food by ravens bringing it to him as he sat down in the creek bed. He forgot how God had used, how God had given him bread and food just at the right moment. He had forgot the miracle of the oil and flour with the widow who had nothing. He had forgotten how God had used him to raise the, the, the son of that widow with nothing back to life. He had forgotten that. He had forgotten that just days before, literally days before, God had called down fire on wet wood when he was against 850 false prophets. He had totally forgotten about that. Have you ever heard people say, if I could only just see God? If I could just see an angel, if I could have just experienced a miracle, I would never forget it. Can I tell you, your pesky humanity gets in the way, just like Elijah, and you'll forget. We also allow fear to control our future. Because Elijah forgot all that God had done for him, his fear blinded him as to what was to come. I think it's interesting that God says in the scripture, do not fear 365 days, 365 times. It's almost as if God said for every day, listen, don't fear. He allowed fear to consume him and hide everything that God had provided. We also flee to what we consider is a safe place, His forgetfulness and and fear caused him to trust his own instincts and he ran away to hide and he hid in a cave. Can I ask you, where is it that you normally flee to? Where is it that you hide? What is that safe cave that you run to? Elijah stayed in, in a cave and he didn't have the emotional resilience to stand out in the open waiting for his tormentor. He didn't think there was much of of a chance for him to be safe, so he actually hid way in a cave in the middle of a desert. He wanted to get all by himself. So let me ask you this, what cave do you often hide in? Is it the cave of offense? Maybe you're mad at God or you're mad at someone else and you withdraw in yourself, within yourself just to remain angry at whoever has offended you. Maybe it's the cave of sadness. Are, are you feeling numb and isolated and you find yourself safe? Maybe it's the cave of comfort. Often we hide in those things that make us comfort and sometimes it's food and sometimes it's Illegal substances, maybe it's even relationships that we know aren't healthy and maybe even sinful. And then the next thing we do is we get alone, like Elijah. Elijah left his servant so he could be all alone. Can I tell you, it's always a bad decision. When we're going through some of the most difficult times in our life, it might be temptation, it might be health challenges, whatever it is, the worst thing to do is to go hide by yourself. Satan loves that decision. We also f- focus on our failure. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever found yourself throwing yourself a pity party? and no one else would come to your party. (laughs) You focus on the times that you screwed up. You remember your bad decisions. You let Satan remind you of all of your failures, even though they have been forgiven. So this is where we find Elijah today. He had forgotten what God had done for him. He was afraid He had run away from his troubles, and now he was alone by himself, focusing on all of his failures. And I would say his pesky humanity had him by the throat and was winning the battle. Well, let me show you what God knows about your pesky humanity and how God lovingly prepares you for a God-sized challenge ahead. Are you ready? This is what God knows about your pesky humanity. A bruised reed, it says in Isaiah, he will not break. and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth his justice. That's the type of God we serve. So I can tell you that That God knows and knew when Elijah was exhausted. The first thing that God, the first thing that God may do, may surprise you. Instead of telling Elijah to suck it up and snap out of it, God knew what Elijah needed most of all, and it was just a good Nazarene nap. Elijah needed just a rest. God didn't give him a sermon. God didn't shower him with shame. Elijah had collapsed under a tree in the middle of the desert. He was exhausted and he desperately needed a nap. And because God loves us, he is with us, at all times, and knows, and even in our hiding place, we need rest. Scripture says in verse 5, then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. How many of you make really bad decisions when you're exhausted? I do. It's kind of like, don't go to the grocery store whenever you're hungry. You start buying Boiled sardines, and you're like, those look great, right? You make really bad decisions. <laughs> don't ever, even when you're awake, don't do that. <laughs> now, I, I know that I am not a night person. During my years in graduate school, I learned very early on, I can't study and lock it in my mind after 10 o'clock at night. I just can't. I would much rather study hard until 10, get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm fresh with a cup of coffee or two, and I can then start studying. I just knew that's the way that my body was. And even today, I can promise you, I am not a night person. I would much rather have, let's have a 4 a.m. men's Bible study. Anybody up for that? One, we got two people, two men, three, okay, we'll do that. Oh, man, I I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Now I got to do it. (laughs) No, but I I just, I'm not a night person. I'm fresh in the morning, and come 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock, I begin to get fuzzy. When we were in the Philippines, we were 12 hours, 13 hours different. My mom never could remember, do I go 12 hours back or 12 hours ahead? So she was always calling us about midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. And uh, one, one night, the phone rang, and the phone was on Darla's side, and she gave it to me. And I talked to my mom for, I don't know, 10 minutes or so and hung the phone up. And the next day, Darla asked me what it was all about, and I mumbled a couple of things. And about a month later, Darla, or my mom was talking to Darla and said, do you remember when Uncle Eldon died, so and so? And she was like, when did Uncle Eldon die? And she was saying, well, I I told Brent on the phone, <laughs> and I had talked to her about Uncle Eldon, my favorite great uncle, and I had totally forgotten about it. I actually tell my employees, if you want me to say yes on a budget item, call me after 10 o'clock, because I'm not, I, I don't think. So please don't call me after 10 o'clock if you want a budget decision. But anyway, I, I, don't, I don't think very well later on. You can either wait until you're totally maxed out like Elijah and how he finally totally collapsed in exhaustion or you can take a healthier approach and begin to incorporate rest in your life. The older I've gotten, the more I recognize the importance for me to, to slow down. It's, it's much better to look at a longer race than a dash, right? When I was younger, I was just constantly running as fast as I could, and then I'd end just totally exhausted. What would happen if I, if I, if we begin to slow down and just begin to have Nazarene naps every once in a while? Is there an amen in the house? Amen. God also knows that we need food. Amen. This is my favorite point, actually. Sometimes the most spiritual things that we can do includes a warm slice of cherry pie and ice cream. Really, God knows when we are physically weak from not caring for ourselves. At once it says in verse 5, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I love that verse. The first thing that Elijah smelled in the middle of a desert, imagine, was warm bread and he tasted fresh water. Nothing was better to wake up in a hot desert with. God has created us in a very specific way. When we don't eat, we get weak. When we don't eat, we don't think correctly. We get sick we make bad decisions, we get depressed, and if it goes on long enough, our lives pass. God also knows that we need to remember. Did you notice what the angel gave him to eat? It was bread and water. Do you think God was reminding him of the time that he provided fresh water from the brook and bread was brought by ravens whenever he was hiding in the creek? Do you think God was trying to remind him of that? Do you think God was trying to remind him of just days before whenever he was with the widow, with nothing, from the the widow from Zarephath and God helped that lady to give God everything, and all of a sudden the oil never ran out and the flour never ran Do you think God was just trying to remind Elijah? I think he was. You see, we are built up by the testimonies of our past. I can't tell you how many times Darla's family would invite people over after church. And this, was, this impressed me before we even got married. They would invite people over to the parsonage. Dad was a pastor. And we'd get around the table by about one o'clock after church and we'd begin to eat this wonderful meal of roast beef and potatoes and vegetables and all great types of pies that church people had brought. And We'd sit around that table we start at 1 o'clock, and at about 5.45 in the afternoon, somebody would say, hey, church starts in 15 minutes. we gotta, we got to clear the table. You know what we did from 1 o'clock to 5.45? We not only ate every single thing on the table, but for all those hours, our elders sat there and told stories and testimonies how God healed and God protected and how God provided. Do you think that made an impression on this 22-year-old young preacher boy that sat at that table? Absolutely. I remembered. They remembered. And I've tried to keep mental files and written files of how God provided and cared for and healed and comforted on and on. God knows how important it is for us to remember. There's something else in this story, Bible study students. Actually, Shelley, you ask a, story, uh, ask a question about geography related to this story. Here's something that's important. Always look at geography, especially in the Old Testament, because it often means something. God has done something there in the past, or God is about to do something there in the future, and it says something to the story. It happens here as well. After Elijah got up and ate, the scripture said that he regained his his strength and he traveled 40 days to where? Mount Horeb. Does anybody know the other name for Mount Horeb? Mount Sinai. Anybody remember what happened on Mount Sinai? Jesus. Moses and the Israelites had gathered around the base of that mountain. Moses went to the top, spent days in prayer. God gave him the Ten Commandments. God met man on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, exactly where Elijah now was hiding under a broom tree. Do you think that was by accident? I don't. Do you think that God was reminding Elijah just how of a holy place that was when he opened his eyes realizing where he was? Sinai, Mount Sinai, stood forever forever and even to this day stands as a reminder to Israel of God's power and God's grace to them. God was inviting Elijah to remember that his presence was real. He would give authority. He would give blessing. He would go before just like he had done with Moses and the Israelites. God then invites us to remember what he had done in the past. I hope that you will spend time today after lunch or this week writing down stories or retelling the stories of God has, how God has blessed your family. God also knows that we need sustained strength and exercise. This passage does not speak specifically about physical exercise, but God knew that Elijah was exhausted, physically depleted and in need of extended rest and food. And God knows the same thing about us. God gave Elijah just enough food, just enough rest to take the next step. In fact, he now traveled 40 days until he reached Mount Sinai. Recognizing that eating well and exercising and resting are all ways that we prepare ourselves for the spiritual challenge that is ahead. Don't underestimate the importance of rest and exercise and eating well. And the next thing is God knows we need to be in his presence. Elijah may have expected an overpowering demonstration of the Lord. That's exactly how God showed himself on Mount Carmel with 850 false prophets of Baal, right? Fire came down from the heavens and consumed wet wood. That's what he did then. That's what he did with the widow with nothing and how God provided, and, uh, provided enough oil and flour for those containers never to run dry or empty. That's how God healed that little boy of that, that mom with nothing. And so this was in his head. So Elijah might have ex- expected fire from the sky. He might have expected loud noises or something. But that's not how God demonstrated his presence on Mount, on Mount Horeb. He said to do four things. He said, I want you to go... He said in verse 10, go out and stand in the presence of the Lord. So he asked him to go and to wait and to look and to discern. So Elijah experiences three possible manifestations. There was a strong wind, there was a rock-splitting earthquake, and there was a fire So while Elijah was hiding in the cave and coming to the mouth of the cave, there was this violent rushing wind and it swept through the ridges, but the Bible says that God was not in the wind. And then there was this earthquake ripping through the entire area. Can you imagine being in a cave during an earthquake? That would be scary, but the scripture says God was not in the earthquake, Then there was a furious fire that consumed everything, but God was not in the fire either. But it was what the Hebrew, what the the English says in our Old Testament, he was in a gentle whisper. And there Elijah found God. He was in a gentle whisper. Now, the translation of gentle whisper doesn't quite do justice to the Hebrew expression. It's better translated, a brief sound of silence. Sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? A sound of silence. It doesn't quite sound logical. But have you ever had a very loud fan on? Or maybe some sort of noisemaker sometimes when I'm in a... In a hotel or, or sleeping in a place that's really noisy. Sometimes we have this app on our phone and we, we turn it on and it's a loud fan noise, or maybe it's rain and, and it's really loud and and when you turn it off, it's just immediate. That's the sound of silence that Elijah heard. Everything was going wrong outside, wind and storms and rain and fire and earthquake and all of a sudden God was in the presence of the sound of silence. It was implied that God was at last passing by in the silence that followed the storm. It's quite wrong of us to assume that whenever God is at work, there must be blood, there must be fire, and there must be noise and smoke and power. But no, God often works, apparently, when things seem to be at a standstill. Those of us who are humans like to think that action, movement, noise, that's what proves there's life or God's at working, God's at work. But often God is working the most in silence. Do you know the, the word in Psalms, sila? In the Hebrew it means think on that. So, listen. It could be in the middle of your storm, you may think that God has to work with great miracles and great movements and talking, but it could be that in the silence, in the standstill, that's when God works the most. And throughout the scripture, The lesson is driven into our hearts by all of these old stories that when things seem to be utterly hopeless, nothing is happening. When all seems to be against us in the silent resources and quiet activities of God, the greatest things could be happening in the silence. So can I just encourage you this morning... As you go back to your storm, as you go back and think through the challenges that God has allowed you, trusted you to walk through, can I encourage you? Make sure you're eating and sleeping. Make sure that you're not hiding. Make sure that you're remembering the God that you serve. And make sure that you remember even when it seems like nothing is happening. That's when God works the most. Would you please stand? There's something else. God knows that we need colleagues on the journey. After all of these months of hiding and running and thinking that he is the only one, God tells Elijah that, that he has his back. God said, Yet I reserve 7,000 prophets in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. You thought you were alone, God was saying. You thought you were all by yourself. You thought, that you are the only prophet in Israel, but I have a huge army that you know not of. A huge army of God-fearing men who are waiting in the wings to stand beside you, Elijah. You're not alone. And then he said, Elijah, I want you to go anoint a new king. Someone to take the place of bad king Ahab. An evil queen. Jezebel. And then he said, I want you to go anoint another prophet by the name of Elisha. That will come behind you and take your place. God has resources reserved for you, my friends, that you know not of. God's got your back. He's got people around you that you don't even know their names yet. People that are praying for you. They have resources for you. They've got wisdom that you will lean on. You, know, you don't know any of them yet. But he's saying Elijah, I've got your back. I've got people that will walk this journey with you. So let me tell you, my friends, right here at Fairlawn, listen. God knows who you are. God knows where you are physically. He knows where you are spiritually and emotionally. He knows the huge challenges that you have been dealing with and you're thinking that you're alone. And he knows what cave he has found you in. He's seen every tear. He's waited with you. He's waited up with you during all of those sleepless nights. You weren't alone. He's heard the hurtful words. He's heard and seen the unfair abuse and he has slept with you as you've dealt with the conflict rolling and tossing. And I also know that some of you have heard the voice of God in the silence and he's calling you to step out in faith and he's invited you to face the wind to do what no one else will do. And God has invited you on a journey that you know has been anointed by God because you know there's no way in the world you could do it. But you're taking the step in faith and you're fearful and you're exhausted. So let me just remind you what God asked of Elijah and he will do the same for you. He says, my friends, I want you to go. And I want you to wait. And I want you to look. And then discern. And he will show himself to you in the silence of the storm. Can you listen to your pastor who loves you? Go eat a warm piece of cherry pie. Laugh. Talk to friends about your challenge. Then take a really long Nazarene nap this afternoon. It could be exactly what you need for God to prepare you for a God-sized challenge that's just around the corner. Thank you. Did you receive this benediction? If you feel that you are about to take a break, remember, the scripture says a bruised reed, he does not break. God cares for you so much that he will prepare you with rest and food. He will prepare you with his presence and perhaps even a little laughter here and there. And as Paul says, may the, hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace. For he's already gone before you. You're dismissed, my friends.